This is Brian J. Cramp, and you're listening to No Good Music. with me brian j cramp he wrote a great book this band has no past uh, how cheap trick became cheap trick so where are you today i'm right outside madison wisconsin okay but before we get into your book i wanted to talk a little bit about yourself so where did where did you grow up waukesha wisconsin okay when you were in high school even before what what music were you listening to maybe the same stuff i was uh, hard rock and heavy metal. Oh, okay. And I it was always Kiss, of course. Kiss were my favorite. But I love, you know, Def Leppard, Rap, mm-hmm. the Sister. That was all my favorite kind of stuff. You're nine years younger than me. We won't say our ages. <laughs> I discovered music probably in the the seven, like seventy six, seventy seven. You might have been a little later discovering music. Yeah, yeah. It was in the eighties when I really became obsessed. What was your first? Cheap Trick album. Like, did you get in the Cheap Trick early on? Or you knew who they Cheap Trick was? Just kind of, yeah, they were just kind of one of those bands. When I was a kid, you know, of course I knew who they were just because of the radio and everything. I liked anything that was in that ballpark, but they weren't one of my favorite bands growing up because I was just basically into heavy metal at the time. Okay. Besides Kiss. I mean, most of my favorites were all, like I said, Dokken was one of my favorite bands when I was okay. growing up. I don't really, I mean, I, I used to buy records even before I had a record player. And I know I had a couple of Cheap Trick records I had in color. I think I had in color and Dream, Dream Police were probably the first ones I had. But that was just because I bought them for a dollar at the local record. That's interesting. It wasn't until I was, it wasn't until I was in college that uh, I really started listening to a lot more music and collecting records in the mm-hmm. 90s, like create like crazy and that's when it was when i got the first cheap trick album that they really i really started to realize there was a lot more going on there yeah than than what i had previously understood in the 90s did you get did you get into more like classic rock yeah well i i started collecting records big time in the 90s and yeah i mean i i love 70s rock you know mm-hmm. every slade slade are one of my favorite bands collected everything like t-rex sweet all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i really got into new york, new york dolls everything like that i really got into big time yeah i've got four thousand yeah. records so oh wow yeah, yeah I, I started collecting records again like three four years ago i only have i only yeah, have like i, three... I never stopped <laughs> <laughs> i sold all mine probably in the 90s yeah. or when cds came out yeah. and then i just bought a turntable like four years ago and I've got three, about 350 albums right now, but I, and then finding time to listen to them. So I'm like, kind of trying not to buy it's addictive, like anything. Uh, yeah. I was, I was obsessively collecting records for the whole time when records were not popular. And now seeing what has happened with records in the last five or 10 years, it's like all the stuff I collected in the nineties is worth like 20 times more than it was. Back oh yeah. Then. And yeah, I wish just, I had kept what I had. So I'm lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that I 
built my collection of like Bowie and Black Sabbath and everything like that I've had since the 90s. Mm-hmm. And back then you could get it for dirt, dirt cheap. And oh, now yeah. they're like hot commodities. So I'm lucky that way. Yeah. I know. I'm amazed what I forget what album I was looking for the other day. Wish I could remember, but it, I think the cheapest was like $30. Forget what album. Yeah. It was. I don't even, I still, well, I think it changes constantly, but I don't even know what stuff is worth anymore. Like I'm constantly mm-hmm. surprised. Oh, yeah, at I know. The value of things. So. Oh, I know what album it was. <laughs> I should remember this. <laughs> it was the first Cheap Trick album. They went like yeah. 30, like 30, 25, 30 bucks. But that's on like e- that's on eBay. <laughs> you know, if you yeah, go to a record yeah. store, it might be 10, 10 bucks. I don't know. Yeah, it depends. And if uh, Discogs is another great place to look. Oh, yeah. I always I've cross. You got to you had a cross reference between eBay and Discogs to figure out where you can get the best mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. First cheap trick album was Dream Police when it came out. You know, I heard I heard I want you to want me and surrender and you know before that. And that yeah. was that had to be what was that? 78 79 Dream 79. Police. Yeah. Yeah, that that you know that was follow up to Budokan. So mm-hmm. yeah. That that was their most high profile period really. And I liked them because they were, or they still are, kind of quirky. They, mm-hmm. they could, you know, "Gonna Raise Hell" is a heavy song for Robin to sing. So they could, they could do almost anything. They weren't doing death metal or anything like that, but mm-hmm. they could do a ballad. They could do. Yeah, I always say, you know, my favorite kinds of music are glam rock, hard rock, heavy metal, punk, power pop. I love all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Cheap Trick is really the only band that encompasses all of that in oh, one yeah. band do you play an instrument or have you ever been in a band yeah i play guitar you know i'm not i don't think of myself as a musician as much as i like to write songs so i can't can't you know play a guitar solo to save yeah. my life but i mean songwriting is my, my favorite thing in the world really uh-huh. like other people's <laughs> songs and then writing my own yeah so yeah yeah i play guitar but i i just play f- for for myself, you know, I have like I have three guitars, but it's it's a good stress reliever, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just can... my my motivation is has always been to write songs, and I don't think I have the natural talent. I think there has to be a certain amount of natural ability that you have to. I mean, not every no matter how much some people practice, they're never going to be Ingve Momstein. That's not really how it works. Yeah, you know? yeah. But a person like Ingve <laughs> is born. It's the same as like, you know, no matter how much you play, you're not going to make the major leagues unless you were born with something, some innate, you know, ability that you can build mm-hmm. upon. So and I just feel like I don't have it. I don't have an ear. I don't mm-hmm. have that whatever that natural ability is to ever be a good musician. But I like writing songs. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was always amazed at people that can listen to a song, a guitar solo and just know yeah what to play you know the band the yeah, darkness I've known a couple people yeah. yeah i love the darkness <laughs> he has yeah, justin um, yeah yeah i've seen his youtube videos yeah. where he does that yeah but i'm amazed he can it sounds like he he plays the video and he 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 stops it and he's like oh i think it's this i think it's and you know he just figures out right then and there i've know, known a the, couple people like that guy new named albert could put a record on and sit there and as the songs are playing figure out the whole by the end of the song he knew how to play yeah yeah 
because yeah that's a he has an ear some people have an ear for that that's i that's the thing one of the things i'm most jealous of in the world probably is to be able to take something you hear or a melody in your head and just play it on a guitar like some people could do yeah yeah it, <laughs> it's amazing yeah i imagine you've seen cheap trick i would oh, hope yeah. you have how many yeah. times have you seen cheap trick it's somewhere between 40 and 50 probably wow okay yeah i've seen them five and or six times yeah, the first time I saw them was in the 90s, so I haven't had as much time to see them as, <laughs> as some people okay. have. But. Yeah, I saw them uh, around 2006, so it took me a while <laughs> to mm -hmm. see them. Yeah, They played at the Union County Music Festival in New Jersey, near like Cranford. Right. But they used to have this music festival, it was free. They'd get all these sponsors. They don't have it anymore, unfortunately. But they have like three stages. But one year, Cheap Trick played. Because I was trying to remember if I ever saw Bunny. And I, I probably... I have to go back and watch the video. I took video of the entire Yeah, concert. in 2006. In 2006, you would have seen Bunny. Yeah. yeah. But I had this high 8 camera. And I have to get another camera because my camera... It's not working right now. I have the whole, I have the whole concert from 2006 mm -hmm. so you know when i became a huge cheap trick fan it was like the perfect time in the mid to late 90s because you know i think it was 96 when the box set came out they had that single on sub pop they had the 97 album which everyone loves yes yeah. yep which was like a big comeback then in 98 i went to new york and saw them perform the first three albums three nights in a row Wow. Um, 98 is when the book came out, Mike Hayes' book, Reputation is a Fragile Thing. I got to see the Silver concert in 99 in Rockford. Nice. Their 25th anniversary <laughs> show. It was like every, it was an amazing time to become a huge fan. That was lucky too. Are you near Rockford or I don't know yeah, where? Yeah, it's like an hour away. Oh, yeah. That's great. Have you, have you met, have you met them? Yeah. Well, I met Bunny. You know, Bunny, I've talked to multiple times for my book, and I had a meeting probably 2018. I had a meeting with Ken Adamani, who was their manager. Okay. He was mm -hmm. Cheap Tricks manager from the very beginning, and Bunny Carlos at Ken Adamani's country club in Middleton, which is like a half hour away from me. Yeah, I, and I, I shook Robin Zander's hand in Wisconsin Dells several years ago when he played a solo show just shook his hand and thanked him for the music but that's the <laughs> yeah. full extent of that i have never met rick or tom once when i lived in new york i saw tom walking on the other side of the street but i didn't accost <laughs> him i don't know if i could handle meeting rick yeah <laughs> i think uh, it would be overwhelming i say that too he's pretty i like much my favorite i've yeah. met rick twice there was a oh yeah and i still you never know what to say to him because he, he's just like that in person as you see on stage, like with the one-liners and the, mm -hmm. the comebacks. Well, there was a museum ex like 10 years ago in Rockford at the Burpee Museum. It was called Rick's Picks, and it was, okay. all, it was all this stuff that Rick had saved. A lot of his guitars were there, but it was like handwritten lyrics and just all kinds of old pictures and things that Rick had saved since the 60s and 70s. And I went to that twice, but the I went the second time I went was the very last day 
of of the exhibit it went for like two months maybe but i remember when i was driving there because it was the last day and i was thinking because rick had showed up there multiple times i had seen pictures on facebook and things like that and i i remember thinking as i was driving there since it was the last day maybe rick was going to be there and i was thinking i don't even know how i would react yeah if (laughs) if i actually met him it it would really be an overwhelming thing yeah i think it was um might have been 2016 they were playing in new jersey at the pnc i don't know what it's called um used to be the garden state arts center it was cheap trick Mm -hmm. joan jett and hart but I paid mm-hmm. for the meet and greet and it was yeah. like 90 degrees outside. This was behind the stage outside and Rick was, you know, wearing a jacket and long pants, you know, it was very quick. It was say a couple words and take a picture, but Rick's standing next to me and he goes, he goes, you're making it hot in here, you know? And so, <laughs> and then I got, I got this shirt with the meet and greet and I'm wearing it. And as I'm walking away, Rick's like, is that a new shirt? So he, you know, has a little <laughs> quirky things he says. It's funny because I, I paid for the meet and greet and you got a seat within the first 10 rows. But my wife wanted to see Joan Jett. So I sat there because I had tickets for my wife and son too. I think I already bought tickets and then I bought the meet and greet. I watched Cheap Trick. It was cool because there was a, a little extension of the stage. So Robin was like right in front of me, went back to the seats when Joan Jett came on and my wife got to sit there like in the seventh row to see Joan Jett. But then last year they were playing in Reading at this little theater in town. They had to park their tour bus on the street. So afterwards, uh, they couldn't get the tour bus behind the theater. So I just walked back there with my friend Jeremy, who also does the podcast with me. And, and there's Rick, there's Robin. Just hanging out. And we interviewed Dax, so Dax knows knows me now, which is cool. But mm-hmm. but it's weird when you pay for the meet and greet like a couple of years ago and uh, if you know the right <laughs> you know, yeah. you're in the right place at the right time. But I didn't know what to say to Rick. I go up to him, I say, you know, we interviewed Dax on our podcast. He's like, Was he mean to you? And I said, No, mm-hmm. he's nice. And then I go over and talk to Dax and Rick's Rick walks over and he's like this guy says he interviewed you and you were nice. So it's <laughs> pretty funny. Well, let's get into your book here. This band has no past, how Cheap Trick became Cheap Trick. Now I have I have the library edition. Oh wow. Uh, it is, might be the only library that? edition. I'm I own a print shop. So of course Oh, okay. I cut you this. You printed out your own? Yeah. <laughs> I only had the chance to read half of it. It's weird because the on Amazon, it says your book's like 500 pages. It's around th- almost 400. This is the first book you've written, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long it, did it take you? Because even though I read half, I, this is one of the best music books I've, I've read, if not the best, as far as information. It's just wow. amazing. Thanks. When did you start thinking about, I need to write a book on Cheap Trick? When did it come it into five or six, five or six years ago. You know, the 33 and a third books, those Bloomsbury book, there's one, there's a, there's small books and they're for one album. I don't know if you've seen those. No, there's no. a lot there. There's a whole series of books. Um, my original idea was to pitch one of those. You can just send them a pitch. That was my original idea was to pitch one for the first Cheap Trick album. So that's what I first started working on. 
And I, on some of the people I was interviewing were people who worked at Epic Records when okay. Cheap Trick were signed. And one of those guys was named Jim Charney. And it turned out that Jim ha- had lived in Madison in the late 60s, and he was still friends to this day with Ken Adamani. Mm-hmm. So Ken Adamani was a huge booking agent and promoter in the Midwest starting in the 60s, but he was Cheap Trick's manager from the very beginning of the, all the way into the 90s. But he's always been this mysterious figure. I never even entertained the idea that I would talk to Ken Adamani. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Charney, Jim Charney offered to put me in touch with Ken. And then it took a while, but I eventually, like I said, I had that meeting with Ken and Bunny. And I've deve- over the years, I've developed a relationship with Ken. So Ken became involved, and then Ken is the one who got Bunny involved. Then the scope of my project really expanded, and I yeah. realized, wow, I can actually. And I just interviewed more and more people, kept mm-hmm. finding out more information. Yeah, you know, it's just building and building. There's just been tons of research. You know, I mean, there's hundreds of sources cited at the end of the book from yeah. everything from old newspapers and magazines. YouTube videos and podcast interviews. And I've just kind of scoured everything because even though I haven't actually talked to Rick, Robin, or Tom, there's, you know, hundreds of quotes from those guys in the book that I've found from just hundreds of different sources. Try to reach um, out to them. I especially tried really hard with Rick. You know, they don't, they're very, very private and obviously they're not into this kind of thing. I think I don't know if they have an attitude of this person's trying to make money off of us yeah. or what their what their problem is with it. Uh, did you read Doug Broad's book from a couple of years ago? They just seem a little weird. No, um, this is the first he, cheap trick book I've actually read. Mm-hmm. But I want to. Well, Doug's book is about Doug's book is about Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars, and kind of how those bands have all kind of the crossover between all those bands or like they're all kind of connected in different ways mm-hmm. but doug worked for spin magazine he worked for tv guide he has a long resume which i don't have any kind of a resume so doug was robin and tom wouldn't talk to him and then rick gave him one hour so it's like they don't participate in this kind of thing i yeah. try i made a hard press with rick at the very end tried one last time to get Rick to talk to me and I got a no from his management and you know oh, supposedly okay. they considered the request yeah so yeah they they wouldn't talk to me which is very unfortunate I mean especially Rick if nothing else I wish I could talk to him about songwriting because his approach to song his approach to the guitar and his approach to songwriting are very unique and that's what makes Cheap Trick so special for me especially the early years and I really wish I could talk about that, even though you never know how much Rick is actually going to have to say about it or how mm-hmm. serious he's going to take any yeah. question. So who knows? But yeah, I've, I have plenty of quotes from those guys in the book, regardless from, you know, many, many other interviews. So this must so, yeah, have been a just... full time job for you. I mean, <laughs> I wish that's yeah, that's the thing is, you know, people ask, how long did it take? Well. It's been five, six years, but that's in between, you know, my day Your job regular and job. everything yeah. else and raising my daughter. And so it's been whenever I had a chance, I worked on it. But it's like once you get once I, I describe it as, you know, you're climbing a mountain and you feel like you're never going to get to the top. And then when you get to the top and it starts to be like a, the, you're going downhill, you realize, holy crap, 
I'm actually going to finish this because there were definitely mm-hmm. moments where I thought I'm never going to finish this. Yeah, um, I'm never going to pull this off. But once yeah, once I had a book, like once I had a structure, mm-hmm. which you know it's very, it it became a very chronological, almost day to day because I have so many dates, especially when you get to the cheap trick part i had so many dates of when they played you know and they played like every night of the week for years so i really started going chronologically so whenever i get a new piece of information i usually knew right where i could put it and once you have a book and you're just kind of tweaking it and adding stuff it becomes a much more fun process and then it just builds and builds and so yeah there's i you know i did my best to uncover as much because it's a very convoluted story of all these different people especially if you look at rick nielsen he was trying to figure out he was trying to put together the right band and he played with a lot of different people he tried a lot of different permutations of different bands and that has become very convoluted over the years with the stories and so i really wanted to pin down as many of those details as i could put it in in the, a timeline and tell the story of you know it it was a long process before rick finally had the band that was robin tom bunny and rick oh yeah it was a long process to get there and all four of those guys played in all different bands and they played together in different bands some and they kind of you know, all and robin played and they kind of all knew each other yeah not hanging out with mm-hmm. it but knew each other from the other bands that they were in yeah they, the 60s they in were the aware 60s, all four of them yeah well especially you know rick was always kind of the leader of the whole music scene in rockford because his dad owned a music store and yeah. everything but you know eventually rick and tom were in a band together and you have bunny and robin in a band together and you have rick playing with bunny and then you know eventually you get this band sick man of europe which is which is rick tom and bunny together with a different singer stooky mm-hmm. but then when you get when they start when rick starts cheap trick tom's not around so tom wasn't even in cheap trick at first so the original lineup of cheap trick had rick and bunny but no robin no tom you know was it it was only a matter of months before tom came back tom was always kind of rick's partner ever since the late 60s there was this weird period where tom wasn't there what well, he was back in philadelphia or something when they first formed cheap trick so they had a different bass player but yeah it was a lot so it wasn't until 1974 when robin joins that finally rick had the band that you can tell he had been trying to figure out for like 10 years i was just amazed that you now i don't know if these are from articles but you you were able to find people that were in these other bands and mm-hmm. unknown people. I mean, they went on, maybe they're still in bands or maybe they went on to a regular job, but you know, that were in the Grim Reapers and bands that Rick was in. But you got quotes from these, I want to say obscure people that people don't know. Only in that, that area probably in, in Rockford might remember. Mm-hmm. But that must have been a chore to track down some of these people. You know, in the age of Facebook and everything, it's become okay. a lot yeah. easier. But yeah, there's probably 10, 15 people I interviewed who I found their kid on Facebook and then their kid put me in touch okay. with, their, yeah. with their dad. Like, <clears throat> But a lot of people are on Facebook too. Or then, you know, some people, other people gave me their phone number 
I remember one thing leads to I another. To, yeah, G, yeah, yeah, exactly. Jim Zubiena, who was the drummer in in Rick's early band, the Grim Reapers, he gave me Ross Anderson's phone number, who was the keyboard player in that band, or you know, stuff like that. Or like I found out from talking to other guy, like from talking to Craig Myers. So Craig Myers was in a band with Tom called the Bull Weevils, but mm-hmm. he was eventually infused with Rick and Tom. But Craig Myers, there was another band in between the Bull Weevils and Fuse called Toast and Jam. And I think Craig told me this, the name of the singer of that band that I never knew was Ron Holm. And then I found Ron, talked to Ron. Yeah, so it, yeah, it was mm-hmm. just kind of, if somebody would, somebody would either give me a number or a name, and then I'd try to find that person. And yeah, I, I talked to at least one member of every band that any of the guys from Cheap Trick were in before Cheap Trick. Even Robin's first band, The Destinations. That was a, I, Dwayne, I think I just Googled him, found a phone number, called it, left a voicemail, and he called me back. Stuff like yeah. <laughs> and that guy, well, there was actually the, the Destinations, I found a newspaper article from 1967 that gave all the band members names. So that's mm-hmm. how I was able to try to find somebody from that. And I think Robin was what thirteen or something when he mm-hmm. was in that band. Well, that's the thing. If these were local bands that were known at the time, but not like, you know, they weren't in a band that had records and hits, and you know, which would have been easier maybe to find, you know, on Facebook. So yeah, you put a lot of work in this book. I want I want to tell the listener that even if you slightly like Cheap Trick, this book is a a music history book too because it it tells you what's going on in the 60s, 70s, during this time period. Like I was amazed at the music festival information. I never knew they were trying to ban the music festivals. You cover different music festivals in detail, which is amazing. Yeah. This is a a great book. Fuse Fuse played at those. But yeah, you know, when I I discovered that story of the music festivals, I thought this is a book. If you could interview people who were there, people who were in mm-hmm. bands, because yeah. it's a hilarious story. Oh, yeah. The whole summer of 1970, all over the country, they were trying to do these music festivals, and a lot of them were a disaster. And a lot of them didn't even happen because the local people would put up a fuss and try to get injunctions and, and get it to, you know. That one yeah, festival they saw it, all these... banned it, and they still showed up. There was no music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was at like a ski resort or something, right? And yeah, they, uh, yeah. And they just all came anyway. Because these people just back in 1970, they thought it's just going to be an army of insane hippies, you know, like a, an army of Charles Mansons. They're going to descend on their small town and just destroy everything. That's what they thought. Like that one newspaper headline just said, locals gird for hippie invasion. You know, yeah. <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. So when I, so at first I thought this would be an amazing book, but I decided to just use that chapter to just kind of, cause I, you know, hopefully other people will find it interesting. Like you enjoyed it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a hilarious saga, but because, because the band fused that Rick and Tom were in played at three or four of those festivals, I had an excuse to, to tell them oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. the story. This book goes up. I, I did go to the end of the book just to see how far it went so you go about up to live at budokan or right right before and you also mentioned the rock and roll hall of fame induction i know you just wrote this book is just just came out or is coming out 
But are there plans for you thinking about writing another book? I know this was a lot of information, a lot of great information on the beginning of Cheap Trick. So but maybe a, another band that you like. Are you thinking of writing another book? Yeah, def- definitely. You know, the fact that I was able to get this book published, I'm hoping that that's getting my foot in the door because I would definitely would like to do more. There was a dilemma because if I would have published this book myself, there's a, I would make, I would definitely make a lot more money per copy. Yeah. It would depend on how many I sold, but probably would make more money publishing it myself, but I wouldn't be building a, a resume. I wouldn't be having it actually be published. It's just going to help me get my next book published. Mm-hmm. That was really why I went, I went with, when I had the opportunity, I went with the publisher mainly because I'd like to do more. So, yeah, I've read a lot. I've been reading since, you know, I could read, but I've always, always reading a book. I can tell you, this is a great book. Like your first book, it's, it flows. My friend, I have a friend, Ken, who also got the book. I think he got it on the pre-order or whatever. He read it in like one day. He said he couldn't put it down. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I, I really tried to make it entertaining. I think it's really fun. There's lots of funny stuff in the book. Yeah. It's, pa- it's packed with, with details. I, like you say, it's music. His- I mean, I felt like I, I couldn't tell the story of Cheap Trick without giving a history of Rockford and kind of the Midwest, but also the fact that the real story of a band like this is the baby boom generation colliding with the British invasion. And you end up, that's really where it all comes from. And so I felt like it was important to lay that kind of foundation. So it's not like, you know, it's just a few paragraphs about the British invasion or whatever. But and like you said, the like I made a timeline. One thing I did that I feel that I feel I really benefited from was I made a timeline, which I started with all the dates, significant dates of the story of all the bands leading up to Cheap Trick and then Cheap Trick. But then I researched and put all historical historically significant moments and just mm-hmm. cultural cultural significant moments put all of those on the timeline so and then i found where things matched up so i could say on this night when cheap trick were doing this well this is the night that saturday night live debuted on tell or yeah. whatever and i and i yeah so i tried to put everything in historical context and then you find little coincidences like the fact that the same night that Cheap Trick played at Max's Kansas City was the day that Richard Speck was denied parole. You uh, know, and they had yeah. a song called The Ballad of Richard Speck. So I just thought little mm-hmm. things like that, you know, just give it a flavor. And I talk about when other record significant records came out. So you under, just put everything in context. That's yeah. one thing I thought was important was to, to have everything in context so you understand what was going on at what point in history are we here so yeah the timeline was a big part of it it really helped so we only have a couple minutes left they can find your book on amazon you also uh mentioned that you were doing autographed copies so i don't know how you're working that yeah i I kept having people asking about that. So I, I have a blog. If you just go to thisbandhasnopass.com, it'll okay. take you to the blog. Okay. And I've been sharing a lot of old pictures and documents and articles on there. And I also, I put it on there where you can order a signed copy that would be directly from me. Okay. So thisbandhasnopass.com, right? Yeah. I urge everyone to check this book out. It's great. 
It was great talking to you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to talking to you. To more books from you. Hopefully, this makes it to the New York Times bestseller list or gets up there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to No Good Music. Intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher and recorded at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. 